Are you ready, Pete? Sure. Okay, here comes a clip, and then tell me what you think it is. It sounds like a crowd chanting something. Yeah, the word is solidarność, which is the Polish word for solidarity. So this is from the Polish uprising in 1981? Yeah, yeah. this is an audio fragment from like the largest and most successful nonviolent social movement in modern history. So somebody might say, all right, so what's that got to do with us in 2017? Uh, but first, we should introduce you briefly to Solidarity Hall, which is a national group blog. We're focused on rebuilding American society based on a shared vision of the common good. So what does that mean? Well, here's a quick history. About four years ago, I began to accumulate a kind of a new group of friends, mostly younger, some older bloggers and writers, people like myself, like Pete. We were tired of the current bipolar political conversation in this country. So we were politically homeless, and we were close to deciding that global warming was starting to affect our mental weather, like our, our minds are no longer free. We all seemed to be searching for some kind of a third way, especially one grounded in a kind of moral vision of the common good. Some of us were Catholics, some were Protestants, some were Orthodox, some were nothing much in particular. But we were all working from an idea of a common good, and we wanted to talk about new approaches, especially drawing from older figures. So we began with some great models, and I'm talking about writers like E.F. Schumacher, Jane Jacobs, Wendell Berry, Dorothy Day, Simone Weil. We wondered whether there were any models of constructive, nonviolent social movements in history. So the U.S. Civil Rights Movement of the 60s is obviously one that came to mind, and King's great vision in that struggle. But, you know, another very interesting inspire, and, and inspiring model we came up with, uh, particularly in terms of a shared vision of a common good, was the Polish Solidarity Movement of the early 1980s. Uh, many people who were alive then will remember, uh, I wasn't alive then, but I've read a bit about them, will remember that Solidarity, uh, which came to national attention with its national strike launched in August 1980, was the first domino that brought down the USSR's whole system. Uh, it was symbolized later by the fall of the Berlin Wall yeah. in November 1989, but Solidarity, much earlier, was the one that started it all. Yeah, no, exactly. So it was solidarity, uh, this group that forced the communist regime in Poland to do something totally antithetical to their ideology, which was to allow the mere existence of a labor union that was not affiliated with the official communist party. So this was totally independent, totally grassroots, came from the bottom up. And the effects of the uprising uh, eventually became a world changing event. So what exactly was this movement, and how did these shipyard workers set all this revolutionary change in motion? It's pretty amazing. So it's the morning of August the 14th, 1980, and the word spreads around the Lenin shipyard in Gdansk that there's a woman named Anna Valentinowicz. So she was a devoted, very decorated worker, also a longtime activist for greater union independence. 
the regime decides to just summarily fire her three months short of her retirement. And everybody knew the authorities were just trying to make an example out of her. But they, what they didn't think about was how after all these years of violence uh, against the workers, chronic food shortages, and, you know, amidst the threat of another Soviet invasion, such as Czechoslovakia, had suffered about 12 years before. This was just a clumsy attempt to punish this heroic woman, and it really raised tensions in Poland to a breaking point. Over the next few days and weeks, 16,000 workers rise up around the country in defiance of the Soviet-controlled regime. There was censorship. They cut all the phone connections. You know, this is 1980, right? So there's no net between Gdansk and the rest of the country. But some underground presses, newspaper presses, succeeded in covering the story and spreading the, the workers' message throughout Poland and the whole Eastern Bloc. Practically the entire country gets shut down by strikes. And then on September the 3rd, the regime sits down with the Gdansk strike workers and they sign an agreement to allow the first trade union free to operate outside the Communist Party. So here's the incredible part. They go for 16 months of nonviolent revolution, followed by then martial law being declared by the regime in 82. Solidarity's got to go underground for most of the 1980s, and both Anna Valentowicz and Lech Walesa go to prison for a while. But Solidarity and the affiliate groups grow to become a political and a spiritual force of like 10 million Polish citizens out of a total workforce of 12.5 million. This is like one quarter of the entire population of the country. By 1989, the whole world has seen how this little revolutionary spark has ignited this process of world historical change in the form of the collapse of the Soviet empire and the fall of European communism. All right, so why, why should we Americans today care about this particular history? Because more than a, simply a political party or a labor union, the Solidarity Movement was a revolution in conscience and a call to a new kind of freedom. It was not, as Pope John Paul II later warned the leaders of the new post-communist, post-communist government in Poland, the negative freedom of a consumer economy in which capital is free to exploit labor, just as the party bosses had once exploited these Polish workers. But instead, it was the freedom to share in the governing of your own society and to participate fully in its economic life. So you could call that life in a moral economy, something that we at Solidarity Hall are interested in talking about. So what is a moral economy? Is this just a utopian idea? What does it look like in practice? Well, you know, this is the, the point of the podcast series we're, we're planning. Uh, because we love history here at Solidarity Hall, we want to start with some lessons learned and kind of the vision of this Polish solidarity movement, um, among others. So we're not only talking about an economy with functioning or effective labor unions here. It's much more. No, right. Exactly. It was, it was about recognizing that we're all caught up in a system. So in their case, it was communism. In our case, it's corporate or neoliberal capitalism that's always operating on the principle that our consciences are basically dead, are not functioning. So the message is, you're not all in this together. You're on your own. Individual consumers, industry. So what can we do about a lack of conscience in people? 
This is the question. Yeah. Well, see, the Solidarity Movement had a kind of a chaplain who was also its philosopher, a man named Joseph Tishner. And he pointed out that conscience can be destroyed, but likewise restored. So authentic solidarity is actually solidarity of conscience. It means roughly being willing to bear another's burdens, as he put it. So this is a struggle way beyond just the question of, say, workers' wages. Right, right. It's really, and this is very interesting from our perspective today, it's partly about the very nature of work, the dignity of the worker and exploitation. So Tishner said, exploitation is work that lies, a disease of work. It's a form of human betrayal causing damage beyond just the the economic. It produces needless suffering. Just with our own, you know, extractive digital economy today, the exploiters in 1980s Poland, now that's the system itself, of course, they were invisible. I mean, these were just like, you know, bureaucrats who never came near the factory floor. So how did this uprising manage to avoid violence like so many others have? Right. Well, you know, there was a kind of a mindset, a kind of a Gandhian or maybe a kind of a Kingian commitment to nonviolence that was part of the assumption of the movement. And of course, this got really tested at some tense times. But this attitude prevailed through the whole course of events. I mean, after all, the regime had all the guns. So so the workers just left it to the regime to pursue the path of violence. You know, they jailed people, they murdered a priest, other stuff. And therefore, the movement won a big moral victory, which would remind us again of the U.S. civil rights movement. So what gave all these ordinary neighbors the strength of will to face down the tanks and guns of the regime? Well, you know, a lot of them were grounded in what's called Catholic social teachings and also a strong sense of just historic Polish identity. And, and that worked to make their connectedness to each other very visible, very strong. You know, especially after John Paul, uh, the new pope, showed up for an electrifying visit in 1979, just before all this broke loose. So he, he brought the big spotlight. And the world attention gave them kind of a shared hope and a feeling of uh, mutual responsibility. Ev- evangelizing, Tishner said, is also a work of rooting hopes. And so economics, politics, to this mixed group, of, it was workers and intellectuals. These were all like secondary problems. The big problem for them, and it seems like the problem for us too, is really a problem of conscience, a lack of formed uh, consciences, you might say. So that's the groundwork for a moral economy, according to Solidarity Hall's vision of things. Yeah, and the vision of Polish solidarity has much to teach us. Uh, even or especially including their sad later fate. But once the communist regime collapsed and they had free elections, instead of opting for a European model of social democracy, they took our American experts' advice and they chose austerity and an American-style neoliberal economic path, which is exactly the one we're on today in Trump's America. A shame, a lost revolution. Oh, man, exactly. Yeah. 